Bibles, turn with me to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel. 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. If you have to look in the concordance. Um, yeah, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings. It's before Kings. So if you went to Kings, you went too far. First, 2 Samuel, chapter 7. While you turn there, let me, let me, um, some, some of my thoughts this week. Why the covenants? We've been studying the covenants. You know, in the last three weeks, we've looked at the covenant God made with Noah, with Abraham, and with Moses. Today, we're going to look at God's covenant with David. And the question, I think, that has to be asked is, why does God do this? He doesn't have to. Why does he show up and make promises to people? Like what's, what's the point? Why, why, is he, why is he doing that? Um, think back to the creation story before Adam and Eve fell. What did God say at the end of every day? He said it is. So guess what? You know, you know what God wants to do? This is really good news. He wants to be good to you. Right? I mean, that... that some people think that God's goodness is out of character or that it's constrained or forced. That's not the case. God is not out of character when he's good. He really wants to be good. And you know what I think his kingdom is all about? His kingdom is God's rule that manifests in him being good to his people. That's what his kingdom's all about. So when God created the heavens and the earth, he created the garden, he put Adam and Eve in the garden, he was being good to them. They were enjoying the goodness of God. Well, guess what? Sin, sin just unraveled all of that. Now, God said the penalty for sin would be death, but he was gracious to Adam and Eve. He clothed them in their nakedness. He provided for them, and they continued to live even though they were in sin. So I think God's covenant promises are God's sovereign acts to rebuild his kingdom in the earth so that he can be good to his people. That's, that's pretty good news, isn't it? God wants to be good. He wants to be good to his people. And so here's how the covenants tie in with Advent. We're, we're, we're on the third week of Advent, hope, peace, and joy. Here's what we've learned so far. God was good... When he told Noah, I'm going to preserve the human race despite its wickedness and I'm going to withhold universal judgment. Right? He comes to Abraham and he says, I'm going to make a people for myself through you. I will be their God, they will be my people, and I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth through you. And then he comes to Moses and says, I'm going to make this people my treasured possession. And he gives them his law, like he said last week, to draw them in close, to help them live the life that he wants for them to enjoy in relationship with him. Okay? Here's the problem. All, three out of the four covenants have conditions. The only covenant that has no conditions is the one with Noah. And I think that's probably because it included the animals. There's not much you can ask of a frog. You with me? Okay. So... Three of the four covenants have conditions, and I think we could sum up the conditions like this. Here's what God says. He essentially says to his people, I'm going, here's how I'm going to be good to you if you love, trust, and obey. That's a pretty good deal, isn't it? I'm going to be good to you 
I'm going to bless you. I'm going to multiply you. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to defeat your enemies. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be good to you. All you got to do, love, trust, and obey. And you already know what the problem is, right? We can't do it. It's that simple, and we can't do it. And Israel's history is full of, and this is our story too, they continually fail to meet the conditions over and over and over again. And so here's the question I've got. If God's kingdom, okay, if God's kingdom is his rule that manifests in him being good to his people, and he's building that kingdom on covenant promises that he makes to his people, and those covenant promises have conditions that we have to meet, how secure is our hope, peace, and joy? Nope, not very. If my hope, peace, and joy is contingent on my performance, I'm in trouble. Ergo, when I ask you how many of you have been disappointed this year, specifically in yourself, every hand in this room goes up, right? Why? Because we fail to meet the conditions. So has God made a promise he can't keep? When God promises hope, he says, he says look, here's how I'm going to be good to you. I'm going to give you hope. I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to give you joy. All you got to do is love, trust, and obey. And we can't fulfill the conditions. How in the world can we ever have hope, peace, and joy that is secure? Enter God's covenant with David. And we're getting... This is really going to point us to next week when we're going to talk about the new covenant in Christ, okay? We're really, we're on the edge of that, uh, uh, of that cliff right there where we're going to be looking over into the new covenant. But God's covenant with David answers this question. 2 Samuel chapter 7, I'm going to start in verse 8, read to verse 17. So there's a prophet named Nathan. He's coming to David, who is king by this point. Remember David's shepherd boy become king? He's coming to David and he's got a word from the Lord and here's what the Lord says. Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I've been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares that you, to you that the Lord will make you a house. And when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, underline that if you write in your Bibles, when you lie down with your fathers... I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, underline that as well if you underline, and I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him. As I took it from Saul. You remember Saul? Preceded David, whom I put away from before you. Verse 16. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Okay. There's a couple of things let me point out there. Number one is how many times God uses the word forever. Three. 
Three times in this promise to David, he uses the word forever, which means this promise is shaping eternity, right? Forever is forever. In the Greek, it means forever, okay? So three times God says forever, right? Here's the second thing. These forever promises are made to David, but God makes it clear to David, you're going to die. You're going to lie down with your fathers. That means they're going to bury you, David. And your son will succeed you, okay? So God is promising that his throne is going to be established forever. This kingdom is going to be established forever, and it's not going to be David that sits on the throne forever. It's going to be one of his descendants. Well, here's what we know. Solomon succeeded David on the throne. Remember Solomon? Wise guy, right? Come on, that was better than you laughed, right? Solomon, he's, he takes the throne, and here's what we know about Solomon. He enjoyed the peace and prosperity that David's reign established, right? Days were good with Solomon, right? He built God. He built the first temple for God. David actually raised the money for it, and Solomon built it. So the first temple was built by Solomon. Here's what we also know about Solomon. He was a sinner, And there's a hint in our text, isn't there? He said, when he commits iniquity, I'll chasten him with the rod of men. Okay? Now, how did that play out? Look with me at 1 Kings chapter 11. You can turn there if you want or it'll be on the screen. Solomon is a sinner. Here's what happens. And the Lord was angry with Solomon. Why? Because not long after Solomon took the throne, he started marrying foreign wives. And with foreign wives came foreign pagan gods and idols, and Solomon began to worship those foreign gods and idols. And so God's angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Since this has been your practice and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you. It's another great place to underline. I will tear the kingdom from you and I will give it to your servant. Yet for the sake of your father David, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen. So here's what we learn just from Solomon's reign. We are one generation after David, and we're already learning this right here. A kingdom and a throne cannot be established forever with sinners on the throne. It's always going to be torn out of the hands of sinners. There's a a, a host of repetitive uh, statements in Kings and Chronicles about this condition is that the throne being established forever is contingent on a righteous king sitting on the throne. Let me just show you one reference from 1 Kings chapter 2. If you're there, you can just back up a few pages. When David's time, verse 1, 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 1, when David's time to die drew near, He commanded his son Solomon, saying... So, David's about to lie down with his fathers. He's having a conversation with Solomon who's going to succeed him on the throne. I'm about to go away from all the earth. I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man. 
and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper. Everybody say prosper. In all that you do. What do we say the essence of the kingdom is? God wants to be good. If we love, trust, and obey. Isn't that what he's saying? Solomon, I'm about to go. I'm leaving this earth. If you'll keep the Lord's statutes, if you'll keep the law of Moses, if you'll do right by God and be faithful and obedient, here's what's going to happen. You're going to prosper in all you do. And wherever you turn, verse 4, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Well, if you know anything about Israel's history, here's what we know. Is that Israel learned pretty quickly when the king was faithful, regardless of who it was, the nation prospered. But when the king was unfaithful and disobedient to God, the nation faced ruin. In fact, the, the line of kings after David was so rotten, Israel ended up in exile under a foreign king. What about the promise, God? You said to David you're going to establish his throne forever. God says, there's a condition to that. Love, trust, obey, follow my statutes, keep my commandments, and yeah, there'll be a man on the throne. But the problem is, when the succession of kings is rotten and full of sinners, the throne's going to be empty. No throne can be established forever with sinners. So has God made a promise he couldn't keep? By this point, Israel had learned, God doesn't make promises and not keep them. Right? You know, we do good if we could strive to under-promise and over-deliver, right? You ever over-promised and under-delivered? Like, my son wanted to go see Star Wars this week. And he was asking me, like, all week long. He's been marking the days off on his calendar till the movie comes out this past Friday. He's asking me all week long, can we go on Friday? Can we go on Friday? Can we go on Friday? And I kept saying, I don't know. You know why I said I don't know? Because I didn't want to promise and not deliver. There's a whole story about that on Friday that was really funny, but I won't go into that. God doesn't promise and not deliver. He always delivers. And the prophets started to get a sense of this. Okay? They started, Israel learned, God keeps his promise. And so the prophets begin to speak the word of the Lord and begin to look up and see on the horizon that if this throne is going to be established forever, God's got to do something. Let me just show you a few of these prophecies. Ezekiel chapter 37. I'm reading a lot of scripture. Can y'all stay with me? Because we're going to drive this thing home at the end. Ezekiel 37, verse 23. Ezekiel speaking of future salvation of God's people. And he says, they shall not defile themselves any more with their idols and their detestable things or with any of their transgressions, but I will save them from all the backslidings in which they have sinned. How many of you want to get in on some of that? Anybody, anybody ever repeated mistakes? 
Yeah, okay. God says, I'm going to save them from all their backslidings, and I will cleanse them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Watch this. My servant David, David's in the ground, shall be king over them, and they will have one shepherd, and they will walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, he picks up on this, and he gets a vision of God raising up a righteous son of David. Watch this in Jeremiah 23, verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved. Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Whoa. Starting to get a sense of that new covenant a little bit now, right? A righteous branch. God's going to raise up a righteous son of David. And he's going to be called the Lord of righteousness. Whoa. Then Isaiah comes along and he gets the clearest picture of all. Of the glory of the son of David. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. I love this. When you start to see this in light of the kingdom. This, it changes the game. This, we read this passage at Christmas all the time. But think about this kingdom. God's rule manifested in his goodness to his people, right? There's conditions to that. God's made a promise to David that I'm going to establish that kingdom forever. There's going to be someone on the throne, one of your descendants, David, that's going to rule forever. And look at this. A son is given and the government will be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And this might be my favorite part. Of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. This thing costs too much for me to actually drop it on the floor. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And <laughs> this is probably my favorite part. The zeal of the Lord will do this. Not man. God's going to do it. And the promise was fulfilled. A righteous branch. A righteous son came. And when Gabriel shows up to Mary, look what he says. Luke chapter 1, verse 31 Angel says to Mary, and you, behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Oh, so good. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob, and of his kingdom there will be no end. You know what we've learned about God? This is so massive. What we've learned about God is that when there is a covenant, when there is a promise that is conditional and is also certain, we can be sure our God will step in, intervene, and fulfill the conditions. The Bible's clear. Jesus came and fulfilled the conditions. 
He came and fulfilled the conditions that we could not meet. He came and fulfilled the conditions to secure the promise of David that this kingdom, God's rule manifested in His goodness towards His people, is going to last forever. I must not be saying it clearly enough. Did you hear that? Forever. It's going to last forever. God's goodness towards you is not contingent on you. It's not contingent on you. You being a part of His kingdom, it's not contingent on you. Jesus met the conditions so we can come as we are. The Apostle Paul picked up on this too. 1 Corinthians 15. He declared that the son of David now reigns as king in heaven and that the death and corruption that came through Adam which caused the line of kings to fail. You understand that, right? The death and corruption that came through Adam is what caused the line of kings to fail. In Adam all die. But in Christ all live. Why? Because he met the conditions. Look at this. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20. But in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man death came, came death, and by a man has, also, has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and then, those, then at his coming those who belong to Christ... Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Jesus met the conditions. We have a king who will sit on the throne forever and we've been invited to be citizens of this kingdom where God's rule manifests in his goodness towards us. The joy of Christmas. If that's not strange to you, that doesn't invoke awe. My encouragement to you is pray, dig into your Bible until it does. Because without that, we're dead. Now you might be thinking, Bradley, this is all so kind of Jewish. Like, I mean, like, like the, 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 God makes covenant, and it's Israel, and it's the Jews, and it's, this doesn't really apply to 21st century American Gentiles, does it? I mean, like, yeah, we trust Jesus for final salvation, but right now, isn't our con main concern who's ruling in Washington? That's our primary concern, right? Our primary concern is who controls the House and the Senate. Who wins in Alabama? What a fiasco. That's our primary concern. We're not Jews. We can't identify. We got bills to pay. We got taxes to pay. What's the deal? This doesn't apply to us. Wrong. Remember in our study in Acts? Acts chapter 15. The early church apostles get together and they have a council. It's called the Jerusalem Council. And here was the question at hand. Can Gentiles 
be part of the promise without being circumcised or without becoming Jews. With me? Can Gentiles be heirs to the promise? Because the apostles in the early church, they saw themselves as heirs to this promise. That Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, has come. He lived, he died, he defeated death, he rose again, he now rules and reigns from heaven, and one day he's coming again to judge the earth and reign on the earth. So are the Gentiles part of this covenant without getting circumcised, without becoming Jews? So when the question is raised, Peter stands up and he says, listen, let me tell you a story. I'm on the rooftop praying. I got a vision. Go over to this dude Cornelius' house. I didn't know who he was. But I go over there. I ask him, what do y'all want? They want to hear the story of Jesus. I tell them, and guess what? They got the Spirit just like we did. Then Paul and Barnabas, they start testifying. Here's the success that we've had with the Gentiles. They're getting the same promise that we do. And then James, I love James. James is the bottom line. When he gets done, everybody else shuts up. James stands up, and he actually quotes the prophet Amos. Let me just read it to you. Acts chapter 15. Verse 14, James stands up and says, Simeon has related to us how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree. So now he's about to quote Amos. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. Isn't the Bible awesome? I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old, from of old. When God promised David, I'm going to establish your house forever. He had something much bigger in mind than Israel. When God raised up a righteous son to sit on the throne of David, he didn't just make him king over Israel. What did Jesus say? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus doesn't, isn't king over just Israel. He's king over the church. And one day, his reign is going to be permanently and totally established on earth. Revelation eleven fifteen, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forevermore. When God has fulfilled all His promises to David, completely, the house of David will be planet earth. Let me say it again. When God has fulfilled all his promises to David, the house of David will be planet earth. Isn't that amazing? So Bradley, what do we do with all that? Can you give me, can you give me something to take home? I mean, that's, that sounds great. It is great, by the way. Don't just, it doesn't just sound great. It is great. We have such a myopic view of life. 
Because, you know, you're, you're probably, by this point, it's 11.54. You're hungry. You're thinking about what you're going to eat for lunch. You've got to get your kids. Some of you got to get back here by 3.15 for sound check for the Christmas program. A little plug, by the way. <laughs> we have such a myopic view. It's hard for us to, to think cosmic. To, think, to, to really realize how big our God is. And how amazing and breathtaking and gargantuan his acts are. They're so big and yet they're so personal. My question to you is, and it's a question back to you, if you're asking, okay, well, how do I apply this? How do I, how do I apply this to my everyday life? Here's my question back to you. How's your joy? How's your joy? Is it, is it being compromised by things as simple as you're not able to get home for Christmas this year? Or you can't afford to buy the presents you want to buy? Or because this year didn't work out like you thought it would, you plan to make more money, you plan to reach more goals, you plan to do better with your habits and life rhythms, but you failed, you hoped your marriage would get better, you hoped your kids would make better decisions, you wanted to get healthier, wiser, stronger, faster, quicker. Is your joy being compromised because you just... You can't live up to your own expectation? Is it compromised because you don't like the way things are going in American politics? Is it compromised because you see the violence and corruption increasing in our world and it's scaring you? I can't leave the news on in my house anymore. It scares the life out of my kids. And I'm not talking about the nightly news. I'm talking about the morning And it's, and it's reaching home now, isn't it? It's not, it's not just over there in the Middle East somewhere. It's here. It's in New York. It's, it's, it's the world we live in, and it's the corruption that's increasing and the violence that is increasing. But can I tell you something? There's something else that's increasing, advancing, and taking territory. And it's the kingdom of God that's ruled by a righteous son. Of David. And because of that, his kingdom will last forever. And when you, I've just been praying all week, Lord, help me, help me see clearly the, the magnitude of that. And I don't think I have yet. I think maybe he's given me a little taste. But even the little taste of that reality makes me want to just fall to my knees and go, how could I ever... Be a part of that. How could I ever be worthy enough to be a citizen in a kingdom that will last forever, that's ruled by a God who raised up his righteous son to take the throne so he could be good to his people? How could I ever be a part? I'm not worthy. I'm like Isaiah. Mary didn't keep reading, but after the Lord peels back the veil, it says, shows him the throne, the angels and the living creatures singing holy. You know what Isaiah does? Woe is me. 
I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve to see this. I'm not worthy. That's the cry of the human heart when God reveals His glory. I'm not worthy. I don't belong. But enter the good news, and here's the joy. Jesus met the conditions. He fulfilled them. And you know what you get to do, and I get to do? Instead of me telling you, let me read it to you. Isaiah 55. This is what we get to do now. Isaiah 55, verse 1. Come. Everybody say come. Come who? Who gets to come? Everyone who what? That's the only condition left. That's it. All the laws. 613 laws came through Moses. All kinds of laws. We can't get past the Ten Commandments unscathed. 613 laws came through Moses. And you know what it's been boiled down to now? If you're thirsty, come. What does thirsty mean? It means you've realized you're not worthy and nothing else in this life can satisfy you. You've tried wine, you've tried bread, you've tried milk, you've tried money. You've tried fame, you've tried recognition, you've tried success, you've tried awards, accolades, the praise of men. You've tried it all and it's left you wanting. And here's what your God says to you. Are you thirsty? Come. Come to the waters. And he who has no money, come by and eat. Don't bring a thing. You don't have any money? Great. Are you thirsty? Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and, and, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live and I will, watch this, I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for who? Say it. David. Just come. Stop chasing after stuff that won't satisfy. Stop doing it. Stop living your life for that. Because that's why we come to the end of every year with regrets, lack, wanting, we're not satisfied. And at best, we get up, make a few resolutions, and try to do it all over again the next year. And here's what God, I've told you this before. I think you can sum up the whole Bible in a couple of statements. Here's one God would say to us, Don't settle. Don't settle for anything less than me. Don't settle for anything less than the invitation into my kingdom under my rule 
that manifests in my goodness toward you. Stop living your life chasing after things that just won't satisfy. That's how you apply this covenant, I think. Do you want something that will last? Do you want joy that isn't subject, subjected to the, the fickleness of this life, the ups and downs? Do you want to love Him more than your money? There's joy there. Do you want to love Him more than your health? There's joy there. Do you want to love Him more than lust? There's joy there that lust can't provide. Do you want to love Him? Love Him more than your ambitions? I want to invite you this morning to just come. And I'm not going to put a lot of stipulations on like what that looks like. It could be anything from kneeling at your seat, standing and worshiping at your seat, coming to the front and kneeling, coming and grabbing my hand, Keith's hand, Pastor Barr's hand, and let us pray with you personally. It could mean any of those things. My encouragement to you is just come. Come to Him. Partake in this promise. Let Him satisfy you with Himself. God doesn't want to rule over you because He wants to manage your life with a bunch of restrictions. He wants to be good to you. That's the beauty of the gospel. And so, as our praise team leads us, I just invite you to come to Jesus. Stop chasing after the milk and the wine and the bread and the money that won't satisfy and just come to Him and drink. I promise you, He'll satisfy your soul. Stand with me. Holy Spirit, you are the one who draws us to God. And I ask you to do that right now. And I ask that you would soften hearts and open minds to your voice and ears to your voice. And I ask that you would satisfy the souls of your thirsty people with yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.